Hello, 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 lovely folks. Welcome to another episode of the Herdwood Mules podcast. We've got an extremely long episode for you today, so uh, bear with us, if you will. It's another complete mash of bizarre, odd... Uh, ordinary, strange, pedestrian, mundane conversations and creativity from the students and staff of Hertwood House School under lockdown. I've got a conversation between my very good self and the lovely Louise about why bother studying literature. Oh man, the eternal question. It's a big one. We don't even scratch the surface, but we have a good witter and we drink a lot of coffee, so that's all good. I've got a conversation with Maddie about creativity and the creative process. She's an excellent writer, a very prolific writer, and she talks through a lot of her ideas and things that she's got in the works at the moment, which is all really good stuff. We've got some new original poetry by the unstoppable Olive and Alice, uh, reading us through some of their uh, shorter creative pieces. Hopefully more from those guys to follow, because they're both brilliant and we've got an entirely enviable conversation with Shanice uh, who is talking to us from a cafe I know that this is a real real sign of where we are right now in terms of our excitement levels and what constitutes uh, uh, social interaction and having a good time we are as Louise puts it green with envy to be talking to Shanice uh, from the comfort and enjoyment of a cafe so here we go folks without further ado another lovely episode of the Hurtwood Mules podcast. Speak soon, folks. Bye. Okay, three, two, one. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. Um, hey, Sam. Morning. Hey, Louise. How you doing? Not too bad. Excellent. So, what are we going to discuss today, Sam? So, today, uh, as per your excellent suggestion, we're going to dig into one of the biggest, most ambiguous, but most important questions of all. Why literature? And that's sort of, you know, as I understood from your, your kind of notes on it, that's, that's why read, um, but also uh, what is it that we are getting from literature what is literature sort of doing for us culturally intellectually you know however you want to frame it uh, politically um and maybe trying to plot a few points on the map that would offer something sort of practical or or useful for people who are either in the middle of studying literature and wondering why the heck they bothered um, or, 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 <laughs> or, people, really or people who are thinking about studying yeah, literature yeah. Um, sort of further down the line. Um, so I, I think what I think one of the one of the kind of key things to think about, I mean, obviously, we are thinking about, um, you know, uh, students applying to study English um, uh, and, you know, to, obviously, people who've chosen uh, to study English for an A level, um, and we need to contextualise it in the sense that you know the study of literature is very new. It's, um, it, 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 you know, a, a hundred years or so it, it, ago, it, it wasn't necessarily even a university subject. So it was, it, 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 it's this idea of justifying something that seems so incredibly central to. Um, um, 
you know, the, 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 to to what we're doing here and and why it really matters. And I, you and I, of course, will, uh, you know, kind of passionately uh, believe in the in 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 the redemptive or the, um, the the value. I mean, perhaps we should start with the practical kind of elements of studying literature. I, I think that's um, a, I think it's a really good one because mm. the practical side's a really good place to start because, uh, particularly in hard times. And you know, I d increasingly we're aware that we're we're not all exactly in the same boat, but there is something that is affecting everybody right now in the world. Um, particularly in times like this, it's often the arts and the creative stuff that gets the raw end of the deal. You know, where the funding gets cut or the or the or the kind of provision gets reduced. Um, yes. And maybe we need to try harder to explain why that's uh, why that's the wrong way to go about it, and defend literature from accusations of of simply being about uh, flimflammery and abstract idealism and all this. Um, uh, so yeah, the practical side of literature. How do we defend literature against accusations of being, in times of you know difficulty, kind of not, worthless? Not, not a, yes, not a hard subject. Yes, yeah. a, as opposed to to um, to, to sciences. Um, it, it, it's it's a tough one in that in that you know you can't kind of argue that it's going to take you through to science degrees and so on. It's it's really interesting. Last night I was watching um, um, Monkman and um, Seagull, the two guys, the two kind of genius guys from University Challenge. I don't know if you watched that series. I think it's a year ago. These two guys were on opposing teams and they were pure brilliance. They kind of they charged their their both their teams to the final um, and they had this curious um, rapport. And they're doing a series on, on exploring the kind of key moments of scientific discovery in this country by geographically, like a, like a boys' trip. It's very funny, but it's also very um, intuitive. And it, I was thinking then about the difference between the way you approach science now and the way we approach the arts. And they kind of reversed in that science seems to be at the top of the tree and, and the arts are kind of marginalised, certainly in, turn of in terms of potential earning power and so on like that. Um, but I think, I think that we do understand at certain levels at least that that the you know the humanities those those issues of um you know how we reflect upon ourselves on our on our morality and on our moral decisions i mean the decisions we were just talking about with the pandemic and so on um are obviously factual but literature i'm going to say that the literature thing is to do with leaps of the imagination OK. Um, and, and interestingly, what what these two genius and I always love watching really clever, pe clever, sciencey people um, who are also um, good at communication. Um, and I'd say one of them is um, is, is, is it's, it's the realisation. Actually, we're, all, we're both on the same page, those two disciplines, because science relies on leaps of the imagination. But um, that's done in different ways through lots of different people, ex people experimenting as they are right now, trying to find a cure for the pandemic. And of course, all our money is very much on them. But but but, you know, we're all we're letting the sciences scientists do their thing. We are 
um, trying to keep our minds lively and, and, and the minds of those in our care um, and, and challenged and thinking and certainly thinking, creating, we all know surely is, 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 is going to save us and save the day while the scientists do their thing. Um, so I'm going to say that the arts have this, this great capacity to... Um, and of course, I'm being inclusive here, but we started with literature, but I think we're probably going to broaden out and then come back in again. Um, I think that the arts are to do with the way we respond imaginatively beyond the logical. Um, and if all we ever did was stick with the factual, the literal, the objective, um, this is what happened, um, an outcome, then we would not move forward. I think literature allows us to really communicate with each other on much higher levels. Um, and, and by that, I mean, communicate not just with those around us, but with those who've gone before and, and hopefully with those who go after. So, Absolutely. sorry, speaking for ages there. No, no, your, not at all. No, no. I mean, it's, um, you know, we don't want to simply be uh, preaching to the converted here, do we? But I, I totally agree with everything that you just said. Um uh, I think one of the first sort of meaningful, practical applications of literature and, and a sensitivity to literature um, has to be the ability, not just the basic ability to process lots of information, although we mustn't sideline that entirely if we're thinking about the practical value of literature. You know, show me a person who's had a a uh, uh, good stab at, at reading Daniel Deronda, and you know that they've got a they've got an intelligent head on their shoulders, um, but but beyond that, the the much less tangible, much wider reaching issue of how to open up imaginative spaces and think beyond the the, the perceived limits of a of a thing or or, or an idea. Um, good books do that to us continuously testing our sense of of what normal is and testing our sense of what's possible and what's not possible um, and encouraging us to really take that almost like a it's it's what um it's what Kierkegaard describes as a as a leap of faith the 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 leap into the unknown that that giving yourself over to the um the promise of something that you can't hold or grasp yes. or fully understand, yes. um, yeah. and and if you if you're willing to go down that route, then you are flexing an enormous intellectual sort of potential, um, yes. and you're right to draw the parallel with science. While I'm always very, um, uh, I I always think that the art science crossover thing is a little bit dubious when people take that too literally Absolutely. like I've, I've seen all sorts of exhibitions and things where you get mm. this mash of scientific and, and literary process and you do sort of think yeah but why mm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember what I remember I saw something where someone was some writers some poets were using a gene editing gun to create so and you just think <laughs> what are you, what are you doing um uh but but it's attention not, seeking yeah indeed but i don't think that's i don't think that's what you meant i think what you were no. i think i think what you were driving at is this sense of of 
the frontiers of of understanding of, of our of human understanding, understanding. Yeah. Are, yeah. are pushed by both of these disciplines equally um yes. and 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 it seems odd weirdly sort of exclusive to favor one over the other in terms of practical it, value um, yes there's, I, i'm just going to briefly go out because again i'm always as you know always terribly keen on encouraging people to, to read different things and whenever i come across stuff i think well you know there's such a good example of that there's such a good example of that in 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 a marvelous little book uh, muriel spark the prime of miss jean brody as you know i used it for coursework and it's made also into a marvellous film, I think, in the 1960s. It's quite dated, but it's still worth seeing just for Maggie Smith playing Miss Miss Brodie, um, who sets about having lost, um, you know, as a rather kind of um, frustrated um, uh, kind of spinster, having lost her, her um, uh, fiancé um, in the First World War one of the fallen flowers girls um, she calls him um, she she sets about kind of creating this creme de la creme with the girls and she inculcates all her values in them and she you know the girls in the Scottish system this is uh, this is in the 1930s in the run-up to the second world war so the kind of forces of fascism are coming and and of course Brodie turns out on her level to be a kind of cultural artistic fascist because she then kind of says right you can't choose um, you have to choose the classic route and you have to go through the arts so the girls don't do the science subjects and she and she kind of sneers at the one girl who has a a, a great mathematical brain and so on um and she just says always the arts that you know the arts are first sciences are second you know and i that just brings in this great debate because that's complete nonsense they have got to be there has to be parity between them um but then i love the fact that there's spark who's one of the most underrated i think of our, our british writers um who writes with extraordinarily sharp eyes any way ahead of her time and I, I love the fact also she's she's you know she's eschewing all those kind of definitions of modernism or postmodernism, and and just kind of writes you a, a jolly good mysterious story that by the end of it you're kind of thinking well was she good or was she bad yeah yeah you it's know, a sort of dark she, version she, of the history damaging? boys isn't it that, yes it's it, very well which is why i put them together i thought yeah, it's really yeah. clever um but no the the, the you know the arts and literature that is that point where you discover that you don't just have to be told stuff you don't just have to watch it even you know I'm heaps older than you and I can remember the excitement of you know being able to watch television limited though it was um you know with my parents allowed us to watch it and so on but but a book allows you your own personal kind of way into things and that would always be my argument that you know the wonderful spread of literature has you know the poetry, the 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 plays, the theatre, the cinema. Um, I mean, so much really great art is taking place across all these mediums now. But it when it's just you and the book, there is, you know, that that brilliant intimacy of your own mind and someone else's commitment yeah. to language and words yeah. and so yeah. on. So, and there's um, the there's the great there's the oft repeated. Um, uh, Alan Bennett quotation that expresses exactly that in the History Boys, yes. isn't it? The brilliant, the brilliant poem being yes. like the hand that reaches out and yes. and takes yes. yours, and 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 that and the 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 immediacy and the the unspeakable kind of poignancy of those moments when you realise that this very nuanced experience that you thought was something that utterly private has actually been experienced by somebody else and not only that but they have managed to articulate it in a way that you haven't 
and that and the growth potential from that exchange is kind of extraordinary where you realize that not only is there a shared experience but someone has managed to help you understand that experience even better um, which is maybe where we get more on to the the less tangible emotional value of this uh, of good literature which is almost like a sort of the, the the humanist quality of good literature that it's that it enables us to become uh, you better know people. better versions of ourselves yes um, I've, I've had a number of students i think i've discussed this with you before i've had a number of students um back in the day when most kids were interviewed for english and particularly at the top universities asked uh, one girl at oxford was asked whether she thought that studying um literature made her a better person and, you know, after some kind of degree of, of, of thought, she, she, she kind of said, well, yes, I think it does. And, um, and, and, and why? And, and asked to justify it, et cetera. And then, of course, this guy fired at her, um, well, well, how do you explain that, you know, that the, the commandants of the, uh, in, in the Holocaust death camps were writing great poetry and, and et cetera, et cetera. So that correlation between, you know, love of arts and um, the capacity for evil um, and, and that great question of kind of moral position um, and and I've, I've thought about that a great deal because I think that, bizarrely, I think that my job that I love, um, teaching literature, uh, has, 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 has really um, had endless bonuses for me because I spend my days debating moral issues in texts and particularly the moral issues that arise out because this is going to be my next great argument about why literature really, really matters. Because, again, this programme last night made me think about the place of literature within the kind of canonical kind of um, lineup of all subjects. And, and also I was, <laughs> I was texting Paul Fraser, our, our, our erstwhile head of psychology ah, yeah. at, yeah, yeah. At, her, at her, because on the news they said, oh, sorry, this is like a digression here. On the news they said that they were opening up the churches in um, Northern Ireland, which is where he is, Catholic priest, um, to uh, space stuff, but they were also doing drive-through church. Amazing. <laughs> Would you like your sermon in a brown paper bag? So I thought drive-through stuff. Um, so uh, and he and you know I I texted him and he said he said broadcasting to the masses and um, so but but what it made me think. Sorry, back to back to our talk is that 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 alongside the the, the subject that bridges the sciences and the arts is psychology. Now I think that the arts. I'm going to argue here that psychology is a brilliant A level, brilliant subject totally valuable subject and I mean it really coming into its own in terms of um of, of of you know kind of our health issues and mental health issues and so on but I would argue that that, that psychology is merely putting kind of scientific labels on what literature has been doing throughout time which is showing us to ourselves in our behavior so you know I think psychologists called it he and I used to have great chats going to and fro and I'll be saying I'm teaching this and he says oh that's called cognitive therapy uh, or something like that and that pops up in class I bet it does in your classes too where people say that's what it's called in, in psychology so I'm going to say that that the art, that literature has allowed us to kind of ponder ourselves and our actions and our choices and the crazy things we do 
um, throughout time, throughout centuries. You know, you just look at the Greek theatre and you realise that um, that's what Greek theatre is. It's stylizing and kind of exaggerating everything because you've, come on, we can only sit on, on, on our bottoms and watch something for three hours max, you know. Um, but it's stylizing all our human experiences into kind of crazy um, seeming um but 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 totally justified and realized kind of um actions why we why we destroy the things we love why we why we hurt the people we love why we you know why we love the person that doesn't love us why you know i mean come on it all comes back down to it um and sorry the, and the, you, well i was just going to say the the catharsis as calls you know of greek theater the thing that arguably characterizes greek tragedy more than anything else that that mood of emotional release and and relief that we get from vicariously witnessing the suffering of others and recognizing that actually it's not our suffering we've lived through it emotionally and come out the other side and and that enables us to deal with those kinds of situations in our own lives better you know because we're sort of fore, forewarned or forearmed um that it that is therapy what what you're talking about there is a is a kind of like you said a kind of stylized dramatized therapeutic process where people are kind of learning to deal with trauma um and again i'm really glad that you mentioned uh, psychology as being this new emergent sort of blend of the two disciplines absolutely because, because of what, course you you know you have expertise in there one Come of the on, books that there? i put on the desk in front of me before this discussion <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. is yeah. is volume one of ernest young's um somewhat gushing uh, bi yeah. uh biography of of freud because he was one of he was you know he was freud's big uh, British supporter, you know, proper first generation psychoanalyst, you know, one of the first people to translate Freud into English and all this sort of thing. Um, and I started as a, as a straightforward literature undergrad and then somehow as a postgrad student by various means ended up essentially being a sort of theoretical psychology student but i but i i i persist that the that the main sort of reason for that was not actually a sea change or a change of direction but i discovered in specifically in the writing of of people like freud and jung and melanie klein and um beyond um, and other other writers of that sort of first second generation psychoanalysis, some extraordinary literary voices, and actually, if you if you read Freud in a sort of dispassionate, uh, interested kind of way, because I I used to say to people that Freud was my favourite writer. <laughs> and 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 people would kind of go really, really? like this. I remember mm. having it was one of the first conversations I ever had with James Hartman, and he <laughs> okay. was he was sort of I think he was sort of completely taken aback because Bless. because in psychology as a sort of serious scientific sort of realm of study, Freud is is a sort of historical footnote, a sort of much maligned kind of historical footnote. But if you examine Freud as a writer first and foremost he's 
he's an extraordinary mind and he does all of those things that we've talked about about stretching the bounds of what's possible and and putting out theoretical propositions that are wide-reaching and extraordinary and bizarre um uh, and you know there's actually a whole kind of almost like a sub category of literary study that involves itself with studying early psychology from the from the vantage point of literary criticism rather than the vantage point of scientific study um because these books really test the limits of human understanding because they're groping around in the dark i'm not interested about how unscientific they are by modern standards i'm interested in a in a in a group of people that tried to explain a thing that nobody had ever tried to explain before um, and and some of the propositions in there are completely extraordinary it's completely off the map you are talking in wild speculative terms but he's trying to articulate something that doesn't have a roadmap so he's kind of you know and he has a big grounding in greek mythology and blah 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 anyway of course um, of course the, the, the foundational myths yeah. of, of 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 you know a, a global culture it's what yates called them the spiritus mundi yeah, isn't it? it the kind of the groups of ideas kind of circulating in the world okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you because um, it, it seems we come full circle and we can't bore everybody forever <laughs> ever here. But I think um, that what you're saying is precisely what we, we, we need to articulate in this kind of first little chat, which is that, um, that the sciences still have this discipline and need to kind of focus in logical ways and, and kind of mathematically line things up in, in sense of progress. But their tentacles are always in this kind of um in the unknown in the subconscious in the unconscious in the you know in this kind of murky unknown that we all know about and yet you know on a minute by minute basis um from from earliest childhood um we we kind of learn to pretend isn't quite isn't there and that the only world we know is the real world which is you know the space we're in and, and so on so um and of course the key word here is imagination and i'm going to say that that is why literature is so important because it allows us to escape into our heads into our imagination um and it lines up that world of uh, of of everything that isn't <laughs> real but in real ways so that, you know, each of us and, and again, what I'd love to do is we could maybe talk about, our hist you know, our, uh, what books got us really interested in in reading and, um, you know, um, from childhood onwards. But um, I, th I think it's I'm going to say it's it's that key understanding of the unconscious and how um you know the imagination what goes on in this kind of area is what liberates us and so from poets right the way through from Coleridge through to you know to to to, to the kind of um um Timothy O'Leary kind of stuff that idea of 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 altered states of being being another route into the creative unconscious um yeah I mean I I, I will always love I love to hear about psychology's kind of interface with this, and I think it's brilliant, but I, it will never replace, um, for me, it will never replace the the, the, the richness that um, we've touched on, that you can pick up a book or you can go and see a play. I'm talking to the advanced class this afternoon about some Shakespeare, and I was just kind of reminding myself of the key points. And for me, the key point this has been, you know, I remember being a bolshie kind of... Um, 
15-year-old before I started Romeo and Juliet and thinking, why should this guy be so good? You know, everybody's telling me Shakespeare's great. And then you and then you watch a play, like you study a play and you watch a play like Romeo and Juliet and you think, my God, he knows what I'm thinking and he knows how I feel. Um, and then that has continued throughout my life. At every stage, I suddenly see new layers in all these plays I thought I knew inside out. Because I'm, I'm you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore, I'm not in my 30s. He, he, it's that finding your experience in the experience of some created being yeah, on the page absolutely. or on the stage. Absolutely. Brilliant. And there are, Brilliant. I mean, there's so many examples of this. I mean, Shakespeare, I think mm. in many ways, is probably the ultimate example because of the capacity for rereading and adaptation and reappraisal. It's, it's endless with Shakespeare. Um, but I think another one that we're studying at the moment who, who almost manages to match that coming at it from a completely different direction is Beckett. You know, the, the, yes, Be of course, Beckett yes, is yes. endlessly interpreted and, and reassessed and reappraised. Even in my relatively sort of short course of, of having known and studied his work, probably really only the last 15 years, uh, I would say about every three or four years I've come back to it and, and, and got something completely different from it. I remember saying to my, my yeah, tutor yeah. at university, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with Beckett. I'm just so bored with Beckett. And he looked at me and he said, he'll come back to you like that. Like, and it's so true. It's so true. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's exactly the same with, um, with Shakespeare. Um, and, of course, my, my next... My, the, I, I wanted to just have a brief chat about Hardy... Um, oh Jude! Oh Thomas because, Hardy, the god because Thomas Hardy. As well yes. as as well as Freud, Hardy was was. I mean, he was the first novelist that I really dug into. You know his whole sort of canon, um, and and in terms of what literature is doing and why, I think particularly towards the end of his, uh, you know, writing, um, he. He does it best. I just feel like he does it best. I, I think I think Dickens is up there, and there are moments in Dickens Ooh, like great. Controversial, I know, I know, controversial. Controversial. <laughs> it's a good job Iris Murdoch's not here. <laughs> no, I know, and this is uh, uh, of course said with extreme prejudice. Why Hardy? I was just going to make the point that, um, as well as opening up new horizons, what lit what literature enables us to do is to make sense of our lives. Yes. And I and I mean this on a everything from a sort of minute by minute basis right through to a kind of epochal generational yes. kind of level, yes. because what good literature does is it gives us a framework for interpreting and understanding our experience of the world. Absolutely. Um, and even at its most basic level, what you're talking about here is beginnings, middles and endings. Mm. You know, mm. that even even at the if you take it at the really sort of nuts and bolts level, mm. storytelling gives us a set of it gives us a toolkit yes. for recognizing and understanding our place in 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 our own yes. lives, our position yes. in our own we, lives. We 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 I, I was going to say we we do narratives. I, I mean, a, a, an image that I've often liked is that idea that you know we come back from the hunt and we sit in the cave around the fire and um, uh, there's some charcoal on the edge of it from last night's fire and and someone kind of inscribes on the cave of the wall. Um, but but to remind people that English. Um, 
is a really valuable subject because it's kind of wild card. It's a it's kind of proof of very traditional educational standards. You you get involved. Well, look at you. You've kind of moved sideways into. Um, in, you know, I mean, English and, and psychology and sociology and, you know, this broad ranging kind of field of the relationship between the arts and the sciences. Um, it still has very, it has a lot of kudos um, and particularly valuable at Hertwood, I've found over the years, because it very often purchases the the, the, the best study of media or theatre in the best institutions. So, Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, so, the, the so, huge range of applications of the kind of skills that have come full circle here, haven't we? The skills that, that the study of literature endows a person's might like to become most as goods to the city as destination, about 20 miles off. Such a vehicle proving of quite sufficient size for the departing teacher's effects. For the schoolhouse had been partly furnished by the managers, and the only cumbersome article possessed by the master in addition to the packet case of books was a cottage piano that he bought at an auction during the year in which he thought of learning instrumental music. But the enthusiasm having waned, he'd never acquired any skill in the playing, and the purchased article had been a perpetual trouble to him ever since in moving house. The rector had gone away for the day, being a man who disliked the sight of changes. He did not mean to return till the evening when the new school teacher would have arrived and settled in and everything would be smooth again. The blacksmith, the former bailiff, and the schoolmaster himself were standing in perplexed attitudes in the parlour before the instrument. The master had remarked, even if he got it into the car, he should not know what to do with it on his arrival at Christminster, the city he was bound for, since he was only going into temporary lodgings just at first. A little boy of eleven, who had been thoughtfully assisting in the packing, joined a group of men. As they rubbed their chins, he spoke up, blushing at the sound of his own voice. Aunt have got great fuel house. Can we put there, perhaps, till we found a place to settle in, sir? A proper notion, said the blacksmith. It was decided that a deputation would wait on the boy's arm, an old maiden resident, and ask her if she would house the piano till Mr. Phillotson should send for it. The smith and the bailiff started to see the practicability of the suggested shelter, and the boy and the schoolmaster were left standing alone. Sorry I'm going, Jude, asked the latter kindly. Tears rose into the boy's eyes. He was not among the regular day scholars who came unromantically close to the schoolmaster's life, but one who'd attended the night school only during the present teacher's term in office. The regular scholars, if truth must be told, stood at the present moment far off, like certain historic disciples, indisposed to any enthusiastic volunteering of aid. The boy awkwardly opened the book he'd held in his hand, which Mr. Phillotson had bestowed on him as a parting gift and admitted that he was sorry. So am I, said Mr. Phillotson. Why do you go, sir? asked the boy. Ah, that would be a long story. You wouldn't understand my reasons, Jude. You will, perhaps, when you're older. I think I should now, sir. Well, don't speak of this everywhere. You know what a university is, and a university degree? It's the necessary hallmark of a man who wants to do something in teaching. My scheme, dream is to be a university graduate and then to be ordained. By going to live at Christminster or near it, I shall be at headquarters, so to speak. And if my scheme is practicable at all, I consider that live on the spot would afford me a better chance of carrying it out than I should have done.
know that it's there and okay i did that thing and i'm just not going to listen to it um so you are it seems at the moment constantly being distracted by your writing but i think that's good right i think that's a good thing in a way (laughs) (laughs) um so um what are you what are you writing what are you working on at the moment um recently i've been working on a screenplay that i'd I'd already written it as a script so i've been sort of converting it into a screenplay format and editing it as i go along Mm. that's always a tricky one isn't it sort of writing and editing at the same time um that works because as you're reading through it to change the format then you notice things that don't quite work um i'd actually written it originally it was supposed to be a screenplay but i wasn't sure when i started how to write format it as a screenplay so i wrote it as a script you're you're shaping it into the thing that it was always meant to be exactly it's set in a kingdom that is ruled by a wizard and the wizard decides that he will grant one wish to one of the citizens in the kingdom in order to do a good deed and they have to compete to get their wish granted excellent so you're i mean this is so familiar to me in in terms of other bits of your writing read no no I, and I mean that in a really positive way I th- I'm sure I've said this to you before you have a really kind of coherent and recognizable sort of style in your in your writing um where, where, <laughs> why those kind of stories because there's often a big bit of, there's often a big bit of fantasy I'm not sure I kind of I write what comes into my head it's mm. often inspired by things I've read or watched. I think I, I do have a habit of finding something that I really like and then sort of trying to make a similar idea that kind of mm. goes on its own after a while. Has the process of, of transforming it thrown up any other issues in terms of um, uh, like stuff that you've noticed that, that doesn't work or that you've had to kind of change in any way as you've gone through it? Um, well, I've had to cut it down slightly because I did okay. some very long bits of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I think I did write it as a script, seeing it as a screenplay. Um, any other bits and pieces that you're working on, or is it mainly just that big piece? It's still my novel. <laughs> <laughs> Always. The eternal novel. It's the one thing that stays constant. In your life. <laughs> Amazing. Talk us through your your novel a little bit. What's it about? It tells the story of a boy called Sebastian. Mm -hmm. Finds himself part of a magical world that he hadn't been expecting. But once he gets there, he begins to realise something's wrong and that there's someone there that shouldn't be. He's the only one that knows about it. Mm. I've had some laughing about the fact I named him Sebastian. (laughs) I feel like it's too late to change it now, though. Well, you know, it's never too late to change these things, unless you feel particularly attached to them, in which case, you know, stick to your guns. How long have you been working on it? Um, I mean, the basic ideas um, kind of came into my head when I was about 11. Okay. So six or seven years ago. Okay. 
Obviously. And was it one of those things where you had the kind of outline of the story, kind of, it, it sort of, you had a full, you could see the full shape of it, or was it, you just had a few sort of elements? I've had, I, I think in the beginning, I mostly just had a few elements, a few characters that I liked. Mm. It, it was very different back then. I'm, hmm. I, my 11 year old self came up with some weird ideas. But in, <laughs> it was about two years ago, I thought, you know what, I think I could actually try and write this. What um, what are some of the weird ideas that that your eleven year old self um, had? That do you want up? to know? Well, I'd originally named my villain Cactus. Okay, there's a sort of um, there's a sort of boldness, a sort of symbolic boldness to that cactus, like ow. Um, say again. Cactus with a K. Cactus with a K. Just one K or two Ks? The, the second letter is a K. Second okay. C. Yeah. Any other details that ended up on the cutting room floor? Probably quite a few. <laughs> well, I've written it through once and then uh, gone through and I'm almost at the end of them writing it basically a second time. Okay. And we decided I didn't like the original. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, I'm hoping to kind of start looking for something to do with it soon. Okay. Okay. Well, that all sounds very mysterious. I like how mysterious that is. Oh, I'm, you know, there's something in the works. I'm hoping to do something with it soon. Um, oh, that's exciting. No, I got, by the time I got to the end of my first draft, I wanted to change most of it. And having changed most of it, I now want to change it all again. It's kind of, mm. I'm not sure if I'll ever be completely satisfied with it. Mm. Mm. And so, so what do you how what do you do? How do you respond to that? Because it's totally that's a totally standard writer's thing, I think, where you go, no, still not right. No, no, still not right. What how do you deal with that? What's your solution to that problem? Well, I mean, I've only done it a few times, but my solution the first time was to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. Which actually worked. I mean, I like it better than I than it was before. Mm-hmm. And I think my goal next is to try and get some other people looking at it, maybe. Mm. Say, I mean, my mum's a writer and she's being very collaborative. Mm. <laughs> she does picture books, so she has to kind of converse with the illustrators and the markety people and all that kind of thing. Right. So by its nature, that's a more collaborative kind of exercise, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you feel like you have been sort of inspired, encouraged to write because your mum writes? Um, no, not necessarily. I started before she did, actually. Huh. <laughs> Who knows, maybe I inspired her. <laughs> I've, just, I've just always had stories in my head and I actually vividly remember the first time I sat down and actually started just writing. I was kind of about 13, I think. I just had a notebook and I just started writing one of them and it was it just felt amazing and I was like yes this is what I'm going to do I think it's it's something I'm never going to stop doing I don't think I'll be able to stop even if I tried mm. even if I even if I don't write things down I write them in my head <laughs> and that's a lot less satisfying because it, it it can disappear so quickly yeah and you can't you can't see it in the same way is when it's written down because it's about a lot of what you've been saying is about kind of you're, you're looking for something you're kind of moving towards something you're reshaping something um 
what would be a thing what what's the sort of aspiration for you as a writer i think at the moment i just i want to get some of my writing sort of out there mm. published yeah mm. I've, I've heard it said that once you get something published it has a it has this enormous benefit of feeling like you've actually you've actually completed a thing you're kind of done with a thing and you and you can stop i reckon i'd, I'd aim to go traditional i'll try and find an agent or mm. publisher or something mm. I, I like a good book with pages you know. yeah absolutely something something that tangible that you can kind of hold and use to prop open a door <laughs> <laughs> yeah all that I'm getting to a point where if I edit it anymore, I'm going to go slightly crazy from reading it too many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need I need to start get getting other people's opinions. Yeah. I think I I just write whatever I feel in at the moment. So mm -hmm. the screenplay is sort of my current other project. Mm -hmm. But it could be poems. It could be short stories. I think I'll I'll always want to have like at least one novel or something like that going one really big project and then i'm working everything else around it well look it's been really cool talking to you about your writing um i'm clearly like like being surrounded by a world of activity so i might have to, <laughs> have to go in a minute but um keep sending me stuff um i really like reading your stuff yeah let me know how you get on with the um, that short fiction competition slows before bed and my feet are numb. I'll remember how cold I felt because I'll remember throwing back another shot trying to tolerate you. Dead chat all night long. How I thought I didn't need a jacket. Cheap booze and yours would suffice. But the booze wasn't cheap and you wouldn't share. So I went to bed cold that night. Broken heartstrings tied into love letters by those who hardly know the knots. A boy curls his clammy hands around her snotty ones and lets go, peeling away the fingers like the petals of a rose brighter than noon to reveal a note, cut into a heart by the same clammy palms that rest on hers and just for a second, in that moment, they aren't alone. The craftsman carves the tiny ravines in which his ink can follow, feeding his work to the sea. Footsteps. A change of colour, fire to water. Blue floods the sea, darting to and fro, adhering to their master's every move. The door opens. Silence. James had written Expelliarmus on the wall in Sharpie, and it was spelt perfectly. Um, okay, so yeah, so he, so he then turns them into, um, you know, he kind of edits them and
um, and takes out me waffling. And because um, really, what 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 we what we want is just different voices from Hartwood. And um, I mean, you're you're particularly poignant, you and your your year, because you're you're gone, and um, we're really missing you. We miss everybody. We're all missing each other, aren't we? Really, but. Um, um, and you're the diaspora. You've gone off um, back home. So tell us where you are and how things are going. Well, um, I'm in Germany at the moment in Bremen, which is yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit um, still very strict. Everything we have to follow mm. rules and we have to wear masks in wherever we go, basically. Um, but yeah, it's starting to get a bit more chill. Everything and we're st we're already allowed to go and eat eat out somewhere and um yes yeah, so i think that's quite nice and and so um how is it going i mean you're you're readjusting now to the fact that there's no a level exams you're not coming back to school you're not coming back to england um um i know you've got a number of projects going do you want to kind of enlarge on them and and what, what i'd also love to talk about is 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 what if anything you think we might be learning in what's going on and how we can take that forward. You know, I, I, I feel quite passionately that the world has changed on its axis and we could take some of this and make something of it. So, um, so yeah, just, just, just fill us in. Well, I mean, to be honest, I do have a very strong opinion about everything that's going on at the moment. And I don't really want to get into it because it's so, so much. And um, I know people... <laughs> People are quite sensitive about the topic, which is understandable because totally. we're all affected by it. Um, but yeah, all I'm saying is what kind of scares me, I guess, at the moment is that society kind of starts splitting into two sides-ish. Mm. And those two sides constantly go against each other and constantly judge each other. I've been at, you know, demonstrations and there's been literally two sides um, screaming at each other, calling each other names. And I, I think that's where it starts dangerous. I've seen family, as dramatic as that sounds, I know, but I've seen like families and friendships fall apart because of that. And I just feel like that's so wrong and so unnecessary because mm. we're all in this together after all. And no matter how it goes, we don't really, we don't really decide what happens next. We just have to live with it. And everyone's it kind of has a different opinion on it and we shouldn't, you know, judge each other because of that and mm. yeah it just makes me really sad to see to be honest mm. um regardless <laughs> i'm trying to use my time as good as i can i do have a lot of time i have i have quite a lot of things to do actually i'm trying to get my i'm getting my license my driving license at the moment good. um which is quite nice so i'm going yes. to driving school um <laughs> and yeah i'm working on my stories i have music theory lessons singing lessons and um, yeah, just kind of trying to sort my stuff out, writing my music, writing on my stories and yeah, just like kind of try to <laughs> stay positive with all of them. Okay. Do, do you think that this forced isolation, this fact that, you know, this is time that was allocated for the last stage of your education um, and now it's yours and you've obviously taken a very disciplined approach, a very creative approach. Um, um, do you think that it's um it's a good thing or a bad thing what what do you feel i mean obviously do you uh, do you mean the the cancelled a levels or the forced isolation uh well well um uh, both come on the cancelled a levels what do you feel about that well i have to admit um <laughs> this is going to sound so bad now um 
I don't think for me I'm not too disappointed yeah, I um I'd say not because I don't want to ha sit my A-level exams or because I'm lazy or something yes. but um I always get terribly nervous when writing exams okay. and then I kind of have like a blackout and I forget everything that I've learned no matter yes. how much I've learned and studied yes. for it okay. and um I've worked very hard <laughs> over the past two years to get good weekly grades and, and you know I've given my best and if that would have been destroyed just because I got nervous by um, in my A-level exams that yeah I think that would have been really sad so um, yeah I think that we're being judged by the work we've done over the past two years is quite it's quite a nice yeah way to handle. Um, so what about then creativity this this vacuum you're filling it with with more I know that you've bit you're creative always but um, it's just giving you more time. Um, well, I do have to do still like loads of homework-ish kind of yep. um, because of music theory lessons and singing lessons and driving lessons and all of that. Yeah. Um, it does take up a lot of my time, which I think is quite positive because I like being busy and having stuff to do. Yep. Um, but yeah, whenever I do have free time, just like now, uh, literally a few minutes, no, like an hour before we, we, um, you called me. Yes. I was working on my on my book, and I've actually finished my other book. I published the last chapter yesterday. Okay. It was a book that I've um, I'd written on for two years, I think. Wow. Three years. Three years, yeah. I think, actually. Yeah. And it was two books. And yeah, it was quite heartbreaking for me to publish the last chapter because yeah, I don't know. It's like when you write a book for so long, you get really, you kind of. The characters that you've invented are really close to your heart, I think. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. As weird as that sounds, it was just kind of the last chapter was like letting it all go, and it was just a bit sad. So, yeah, but I'm really glad I've I finished it now, and people okay. have reacted very positively. Okay. So that's nice. So, have you got a, a quite a big fan base following this 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 novel? Yeah, I do. I think my first book had 130,000 readers, and the second one. Right now has about thirty four thousand, which is which is quite nice. Excellent. Okay. And um, um, what about the one we've been putting up on Muse? Is that is that the one you're talking about? The second one? No, but uh, this one I've actually published uh, the first three chapters of yes. the one that we, yeah, you you know about. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, yes. And um, I kind of I've been planning to do it a little differently this time because I want to kind of write the whole story and then publish it so I have something to publish every day it's going to take me a while but I really want to get this right this time so that I'm 100% happy with the result and okay. I feel like it's going to be yeah worth worth the time okay so 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 each stage of your creative process you are refining the criteria that you are um you know that you're applying to it so this time you want you more we want more creative control I guess yes I just wanted to be because I mean everyone has that when when you write something and the first moment you think oh it's quite nice and then you you kind of publish it and then yep. you read it like a few months later and you just go oh my god what have I done there <laughs> and oh uh, yeah I mean it's true I don't want that to happen with this one because I've I've put so much work already into it I've planned the characters the whole storyline I've written it all down I've I've 
I've had I've made drawings of the characters and that's the thing because I'm terrible at drawing mm. so um yeah I've created like a storyboard ish a list of the characters and their character traits I've put so much work in it and um yeah I just I just want to do this right so that I'm even after a few months that I still go oh okay I'm really happy with this so okay. yeah I want to take my time with it Excellent, excellent. Um, so, come on, let's let's think about anything good from COVID, from this world. I mean, we're still in lockdown. I, I just think we've changed enormously in this country, and I don't know whether you, it feels like that in Germany um, and what you think, you, you know, might be good things from this. So just, you know, again, from your generational point of view, I'm, I'm very much intrigued. Well, I think... <laughs> the advantage of this is at the same time it's kind of the disadvantage as well um it gives you a lot more time to think about everything and yeah. I feel like because of that sometimes it's quite hard because you know you also have a few thoughts that are a bit negative that you have to mm. deal with but then again it forces you to deal with stuff that you maybe never really had the time to deal with before mm. so you kind of get more sensitive and you understand oh I'm not the only one feeling this way right now everyone's kind of having a hard time with this and um, I've seen people on the streets, you know, are being way more talkative and way more friendly and open towards you, which is nice. Um, yeah, I've had conversations with like so many strangers <laughs> and <laughs> I've met so many new people uh, that I never really met before. Also in my neighborhood where I was like, oh, I never even knew you existed. And now we're kind of chatting. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, I think, I think it's, it's quite nice. That's, that's the nice part about it. Um, you see, cause I'm going to say, if it's taught us anything, this, it's, it's taught us that we need each other, you know, because obviously there's a huge big argument. I'm looking out in my garden and a sky that does not have um, a stream of aeroplanes going into Gatwick Airport, for instance. And I, I just think, can't we reset some things as we come out of this? Um, do, do you have, you know, is your generation thinking along those lines or not? I mean, um, can we can we harness it? Do you think? Are you an optimist or are you...? I'm an optimist, definitely. I mean, um, it's kind of... That's a bit a weird thing, but, yeah, the sky's kind of way more blue nowadays <laughs> than it was before, um, yeah. which, makes me, which makes me quite happy. Um, mm. And, yeah, no, I was... My friends are really, you know, optimistic about it as well and think, oh, this is great, you know, kind of see the positive side of it. But I do believe that this should be always not only during this time. It's a bit sad that now that the whole word is kind of coming to a halt, that it only happens now. Yeah. It should, yeah, it should happen all the time. It should be all the time. Yeah. Mm. We're all a bit, we're very passionate about, you know, the environment and keeping everything clean and and all of that we're trying our best to kind of do our part in all of this um yeah. so i can only speak for my friends and and me but yes. i i do think our generation in general um do think quite passionately about this as well because we're going to be hopefully hopefully <laughs> living on this um planet for for a while i hope yeah yeah definitely a great deal longer than me so, um, and what about the autumn? Come on, tell me what, what plans for the autumn as as per previous planning. Autumn, well, I'm always excited about the autumn because it's my favourite season of the year. Yeah. So I plan to drink as much cappuccino and pumpkin spice latte as I can. Good. And sit in as many coffee shops as I can. Oh, jealousy. Colour me green. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just write my stories as... 
autumn for me is the most inspiring season of the whole year. I have no idea why, because sometimes it's raining and the leaves are all colourful and all of that inspires me. I don't know why it's super weird, but it does. No, I don't. Do you know what? It's not weird. It's it's. I totally get it. I think autumn is, <laughs> you you like your love for John Keats. It's um. It's that 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 lovely. It's romantic. Yes. It, well, it's that heightened sense of how beautiful the world is and how amazing all the experiences are there to be had, but also how temporary. You know how 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 we've got to make the most of them. So so writing coffee cappuccinos and my birthday, my Ooh. birthday. Okay. Yeah. And you will be. 19? I'm 19, yeah. 19, yay! Okay, so uh, so celebration. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, listen, I'm going to sign off now, um, but should we have a, a chat in a few weeks or time and see what how you're doing, how your stories about poetry? How about that? Let's let's talk about some poetry. And we could talk about Keats and the things that you really love. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, we can, tra- we can trade some, 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 some poetry favourites. How about that? Great. I'd love that. Listen, lovely to catch up with you. Good luck with all your learning stuff and uh, all your great stuff. Uh, Colour us all green. Book up. Book up. Book up. Book up. Book up.